was just incredible, and I, I can't thank our team enough for just setting the stage for what we're talking about today. Um, our team is just amazing for a church our size to have the quality music that we have. It's just incredible. Thank you, team. You guys just blessed us this morning. Just in incredible. Thank you so much. Um, I want to thank John and his team for for just consistently just, just blessing us like, like they have. Um, for those of you that don't know, my name is Dave. If you, this is your first time here, if you're the first time you're joining us online, welcome to Catalyst Christian Church. This is who we are, this is what we do. Um, and if you want a real taste of what Catalyst Christian Church is like, um, I, I will tell you this firsthand. People ain't here for the preaching, okay? People are here because this is the most wonderful group of people you've ever been a part of. And we are going to have a picnic and, uh, at Rock Fence Park. It's going to be great. Come and experience why people keep coming back because it ain't because of me, okay? It's because of the fellowship and the community and the love that we have for each other as the world disintegrates into divisiveness and drama and conflict, this church in here stands in stark contrast to that because we love each other. Amen? And that is the, probably the greatest witness more than any sermon I could ever preach is how much the church loves each other. And so uh, that, that is one thing that you guys just do amazing, uh, an amazing way. And uh, I invite everybody, if this is your first time here, come be a part. We'd love to have you um, because this is, this, is, this is just a great place. All right, so we're continuing our series called Keeping God First When You Don't Feel Like It. Okay, uh, the whole year theme is God First. Every sermon we're preaching, every series deals with God first. And this particular one is keeping God first when you don't feel like it. Last week we talked about when it happens. And if you did not, if you were not here, I highly recommend you go to our YouTube page and watch that because um, it kind of set the stage for the whole series. Uh, but we're in part two today uh, called When You Me Need a Miracle and nothing happens. And the main thing today is this, if we falter at the point of testing, how small is our faith? See, Romans 8.28 says this, that all things, how many things? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says, all things. And that means, yes, whatever you're going through right now, whatever you went through, whatever you will go through, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are, call, 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 and are called according to his purpose. Now, Jesus himself downplayed the role of miracles. Whenever he healed someone, whenever he uh, uh, performed a miracle, he, what did he always say? He always said, don't tell anyone about this. Because Jesus was not into, into sensation sinking. He was not into people looking for a magic show. He was not interested in the big miracle. That's not what he was into. If he was into that, he would have set up a stage and, and, and healed people in full view of everybody and, and, and brought people to him for the magic show. That's not what he did. He was into people who recognized he was a son of God. Okay? He wanted people who had faith in him as a son of God. And if we base our faith in God on what he does to bail us out of whatever situation we're in or, or whatever he does uh, to, to make our lives easy or uh, life working out like we want it to, if that's what we base our faith on, we, will, we don't believe in God. We believe in a heavenly butler that doesn't exist. I want to take you to one of the most famous stories in the Bible uh, about people who needed a miracle and just didn't get one. 
at least the one they expected. I want everybody to turn to Daniel chapter three. This, is a, this, this, should, this chapter should be highlighted in your Bible, should be marked. If, um, if, if you use a, a print Bible, it should be underlined. If you use an online Bible, like a, like a U version, highlight it, uh, bookmark it, whatever. But that's where we're going to be. And this is an example from Scripture as to what to do when you need a miracle and nothing happens. We've all been there. Um, so they were exiles living in a land that did not uh, hold their values. These were, these were Hebrew, uh, Hebrew captives that were in a pagan foreign land. Their government, their culture, their neighbors, none of them worshipped or honored God. Does that sound familiar? Well, they were depending on God to protect them from this toxic culture, and God doesn't. He did nothing. So th- this, is, this is what we do. This is the this example to follow when we need a miracle and nothing happens. The first thing that these three uh, men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their men are teenagers, somewhere around there. The first thing they do is they don't bow. When they're facing a, a need and they get nothing, first of all, they don't bow. Um, in Daniel chapter 3, it starts off with the words King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Uh, so, so there's more than just a ship in the matrix, you know. Uh, the Babylonians had conquered Judah, like I said, and carted them off into, uh, into captivity. And Nebuchadnezzar had set up an image of himself 90 feet high made of gold. And he commanded the entire nation to worship him when music was played. All right. So uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were teenagers serving in Babylon's captives in verse 4 through 6. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, this was kind of standard practice for kings back then. It was a way for them to enforce conformity among their subjects. Um, kind of back in 2016, um, when, uh, when President Trump was talking about war with North Korea, um, Kim Jong-un, the North Koreans, said that millions of North Koreans volunteered for the military. Okay, uh, well, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is giving everyone a chance to volunteer to worship him. Okay, that's the way totalitarian people work. So everyone falls down. And worships except for these three teenagers. And so the tattletales go to the king. And uh, I guess, uh, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar set up a hotline where you could call on your neighbors. Uh, and it says here in verse 12, But there were some Jews who you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay, now this is no small deal. This was not a small deal. And uh, old Nebi had set up this image of himself, and right next to it, here's this big image right here, and right next to him, he set up this blazing furnace, okay? And so you either worshipped the image, or you were thrown in the furnace. No big deal. And they were looking at both at the same time. Now, let's say the president of America sets up a 90-foot image of himself and says, every American has to worship it when the music starts. I would imagine not one of us would do that. Unless, of course, he also commands that those who don't get burned alive in a furnace right next to it. See, the people can see the image. They can see the furnace. They can hear the crackling of the wood. They see the smoke billowing out. And it seems like a pretty easy choice. Fall down and worship or get burned alive. Not a hard choice for most people. And all of a sudden, the conductor raises his baton Taps on the music stand, and on the downbeat, you would hear the th- sounds of tens of thousands of people hitting the dirt 
in worship for this image because no one wanted to be burned alive. See, the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, needed a miracle. They needed a miracle. They, they had no power. There was no court to plead their case. There was no lawyer that was gonna take their case and, and, and they couldn't appeal. There was no bill of rights. There was nothing. They had no power. They were defenseless before the onslaught of this pagan king. They needed God to intervene. They needed God. They were praying, God, I pray that you would maybe strike Nebuchadnezzar with a lightning bolt, maybe stop this, or maybe he'll change his mind at the last minute, or maybe, Lord, make us invisible so they don't see us. Stop this. We need a miracle, Lord, because we're, we're going out. And God is silent. The king makes a proclamation. The music starts. God doesn't intervene. Now, at that moment, lots of us would have checked out. We would have checked out. Because when God doesn't do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, a lot of us just quit. And that is to our shame. But that is the mindset of tons of people in the church today. They needed a miracle and God did nothing. He just sat there and let it happen. I'm sure that they were feeling left out to dry. I'm sure they were feeling forsaken. I'm sure they were saying, God, why? Why haven't you done something? And three teenagers are eagerly anticipating God to stop this thing, and they're faithful and they expect God to do something, and nothing happens. Everybody hits the ground in worship except these three. They didn't check out. They remained standing. They were still teen standing, and they were teenagers. I want to tell you, as a pastor, I pray for the teenagers in this church. They're awesome. You know that our online tech stuff, most of what happened wouldn't happen without the teenagers in this church. Did you know that? Do you know that about a quarter of our church is under the age of 18? And without them, the tech, the lights, the music, uh, I, I, none of this would happen. I pray for the teenagers in this church. They're amazing. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, I pray they'll never bow down to things of this world. This world sets up. The courage, I, 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 I pray that they have the courage to stand in full devotion to the living God. This image was made of gold. It symbolized materialism. Our, our teenagers are, are, are being tempted to bow down to materialism, to, to chuck all their calling from God and go after the money like they've seen their parents and grandparents do. The second was, it was an image of a man. It elevated humanity over God. That's the de facto religion, de facto religion of America right now, humanism, elevating us and saying that we can determine what is right and wrong, that we're the master of our own destiny. We don't have to bow down to God. We don't have to follow what God says. We are above God. That was the second thing it, it symbolized. And the third, it falsified worship. See, you can threaten people all you want, but you can't, you can't threaten worship. You can't force worship. Worship comes from the heart. And, and Keaton Nebuchadnezzar understood there was a, a connection between music and worship. And, and, and God gave, gave us music in order to, for us to worship him. And many people report that they're here at Catalyst and still here because of, of, of music. Music brought them in and music ministers to them when they're, when, they're, when they're hurting. How it moves to worship God. Music isn't innocent, it's not harmless. Who made the following statement? Let me write the music of this nation, I'll determine its morals. Was it Hillsong United? Was it Madonna? Was it the Catalyst worship team? Was it Adolf Hitler? It was Adolf Hitler. 
Music will either draw you closer to God or draw you away from God. And I guarantee if you're going through a tough time, music will determine your emotional state. Stop the, stop the secular music, unplug from everything, listen, only worship music and see what happens, see what changes in your life, okay? And I'm glad these three saw that God was the only way and there's no other options and they wouldn't, fall to a fa- wouldn't uh, bow to a false god like so many do. And see, the, the American Christians see these teenagers at this command standing and they're amazed because the American church does a lot of great things. If it didn't, I wouldn't be a pastor of you wouldn't be here. But there are also some things we get wrong. And one of them is the false belief that God should do whatever we want him to do whenever he, we want him to do it. And he should always be looking out for us and stopping whatever bad things come our way. That's a false belief in the American church right now. And, uh, and when God doesn't do that, we walk away from him. I've seen it happen time and time again far more than I care to. It's because we don't study people like these who stay faithful even when uh, it costs them or they don't see a way out, but they didn't bow. And not only would they not bow, they wouldn't bend. Two, they won't bend. Verse 13, when he sees this, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of, the, of, of the, all those instruments, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image of gold I've made, very good. But if you don't worship it, I, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? See, here's the king, thinks he's God, thinks he's greater than God, thinks he can do things that God can't touch. Thinks he's greater than God. Now, to be fair, he asked them if it was true. And so the three Hebrew teenagers say this, verse 16, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In other words, King, we've already made up our minds. You can give us a second chance. You can give us a third chance, a tenth chance, a hundredth chance. It doesn't matter. We're not changing our minds, all right? We are not going to bow down and worship your false image. We aren't even going to argue. We're not even going to present, prevent a, present a, a case. We're not even going to bother with that because it'd be futile. We are not going to do it. It's a done deal. We aren't doing what you say. Verse 17, this is, I love this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. God we serve is able. What? Able. Say it again. He is able. Absolutely. And here's a kicker. Here's the key to the whole thing. If you don't hear anything else said today, hear this. All you young people and old people, especially young people, please underline and highlight this in your Bible. Verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. He, they're, they're looking at him and saying, there's only one way, king. Verse 17, God's able. He's able to rescue us. We're not bound down. But even if he doesn't, if, even if we are burned alive, even if in his wisdom he decides it's our time to depart this earth and go to heaven to be with him, even if in his wisdom it's our time, we are not bowing down. We are not bending. That's it. We, if we need a miracle and God doesn't give us one, that is fine with us. Wow. Do you have the courage to say that this morning? You need a miracle. 
And even if God doesn't provide me with one, that's fine with me. I'm not changing. So do your worst, king, they say. We will not serve your gods or worship him the gold you set up. See, king, we believe what the apostle Paul will write in about a thousand years, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things, including this furnace, including this trial, this is working to our good. So do your worst, king. See, some of us in here have a faulty foxhole kind of faith. It says, God, I will serve you if you deliver me. If you fix my situation, if you come through for me like I want you to, when I want you to, I'll, I'll serve you. But then there's real faith that says, even if I don't get what I want from you, I will still serve you, I won't bow and I won't bend. See, this is real faith. Real faith says, I'm staying faithful not because of the results I get, because it's the right thing. Many of us in here have this crazy idea that staying true to what you believe always works out for you. It doesn't. We don't stay faithful to God only if he swoops in and saves us miraculously because he doesn't always do that. If your faith in God is dependent on you getting a yes every single time you ask God for something, you are, you're only one prayer request away from crashing and burning. Okay, God doesn't work that way. He never has and he never will. We stay faithful because of our love for God, because it's the right thing. There are people in here that are struggling today, and the reason you're here is because this may be your last stop before you just chuck it all. I understand that. The burden of that knowledge weighs on me every time I stand up to preach you all. I know there are people who are barely hanging on in here. And this, like I said, this may be your last stop before you just chuck it all. There may be people, maybe, with cancer, I believe God will heal you of that disease, but if he doesn't, will you stay faithful? I believe there are people in here struggling with addiction. I believe God will deliver you from that, but if he doesn't, will you stay faithful? I believe that there are people that are in financial straits and they don't see a way out. I believe God will show you the way out. College students, there will be a professor that will make it clear that if you show any devotion to Christ whatsoever, that you're going to fail his class. I believe God will work in ways that you'll pass. But if he doesn't, will you still serve God and not compromise? Will you take the F? Will you take the persecution, staying true to who you are? There are people in here going through fiery, unimaginable trials. So, you know, you are experiencing what we talked about last week, the it. You're experiencing it right now. I believe he'll deliver you. But if he doesn't, will you still serve him? So many people don't get what they want. They just quit. They bail out. They're gone. They quit on God. And they quit on the church. There are people that used to be part of this church that aren't because something bad happened and they, they thought God left them out to dry and, they, and, and they're gone. It's so sad. I just want to ask those people, where is your faith if you falter at the point of testing, how small is your faith? Are you only here if you get what you want when you want it? That's not faith. That's not even close to faith. So the question that I want to ask Catalyst Christian Church, those joining us online, where's your faith? Do you trust that God 
is able. And if he does not, do you stay firm? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, God is able to deliver us. He's the only way. He's the only God. Not you, Nebuchadnezzar. He's the only God. He's the only way. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow. We won't bend. We won't worship something that's false just because it'll get us a few more years of life. They don't bow. They don't bend. And watch what happens. They don't burn. Verse 19, the king Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's what happens to totalitarianism, totalitarians with huge egos when you don't do what they want. They get mad. They get furious. And they take out their anger on you. All right? He's furious with them, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times harder than usual. And he commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. Verse 21. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot, the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now, how many math majors we got in here? People good at math? Anybody good at math? I'm not good at math, but I can count. Okay? But check this out. Look at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They said, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four. Hang on. There were three, and now there are how many? Four. So in other words, there's, what's four minus three? One. There's one that has been added. Now, who is that? He said, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of the Gods. So this is a thousand years before Jesus Christ has been revealed as the Son of God, and a pagan king is bright enough to say that guy is something special. There's somebody else in there. He doesn't look like any human. He looks different. Who is this fourth? It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. I can easily imagine Jesus is up in heaven and some angels come to him and say, hey, Jesus, we got a problem down there. Here's this arrogant king whose head barely fits in his kingdom and he's commanded all the people to bow down and worship and there are three teenagers that ain't doing it and they're about to be cast into the fire and Jesus looks down, he sees it and he gets up from his throne and he steps across some heavenly rampart in the castle and he descends some major staircase and he plops himself in the furnace, which doesn't hurt him because he's Lord of, over all creation, even fire. You know that, right? That, that the thing, things that Jesus is Lord over don't hurt him. Yeah. So he's sitting there in the fire, maybe with an easy chair, maybe, with, maybe, maybe roasting some marshmallows, waiting for them to be thrown in. Wow. He looks at the three and he says, no worries. I'm in control and I always have been. See, sometimes the miracle God gives you is his presence through the trial. He doesn't stop you from the trial. He promises you his presence through the trial, and he guarantees, he says, if you stay faithful to me, you will not be harmed. I will watch you, I will walk you through the fire. I will walk you through the flames. I will walk you through the things that you thought was going to destroy you. 
If you stay faithful to me, if you don't bow and you don't bend, you're not going to burn, Jesus says. See, sometimes Jesus has a different perspective than us. He may think that, rightly so, that this trial is essential to your salvation or it's essential to your character, or it's essential to your testimony, that you going through this is essential to the kingdom that we don't see, and we can't see it. He can, and we don't. That's why it's called faith. That's why we say, your ways are best. Everything works together for the good. We have faith in that statement, even if we can't see it, and that's what they do. And we have faith that all things work together. For the good. And then verse 26, watch this. King Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of his blade first and shouted out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire not harm their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. The robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. And then watch what happens in verse 28. King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and, were, and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. So he goes from thinking he's God to, to worshiping the real God. Like that. Whatever it is you're going through right now, I don't know what it is. Maybe your son or daughter left the faith and you are dealing with the devastation of that reality maybe you've lost a spouse uh, maybe your marriage is teetering on the edge of collapse your business is tanking you're about to lose your job Wh whatever it is I don't know what it is whatever your trial is you only have one goal keep trusting in God that's it that's your job that's your only job see there are four lessons from the fire that I want us to get today. Because there are a lot of us out here that are needing a miracle and it's not happening. And there are four lessons from this that we all need to know. We need to imprint it on our hearts. We need to bury it in our minds. We need to live it. The first one is this, is that persecution reveals your commitment and reveals whether you're genuine or not. A trial will really show who you are. People say that hard times build character. No, hard times reveal character. It reveals you for who you are. If you falter at the point of testing, how small is our strength, how small is our faith? A lot of times these trials we're going through show us for the charlatans, the spiritual charlatans that we are. We're playing church, and God doesn't want us to play church. He's not interested in charades. He's interested in faith, and he will give you a trial so that you can look in the mirror and you can see how shallow and how unreasonable and how wrong you really were to bring us to repentance and to bring us into close faith, faith and fellowship with him because that's what he wants. Persecution or hard times truly reveal the state of our hearts before God, okay? And if we falter at the point of testing, it shows that we never really had much to begin with. In the screw tape letters, the brilliant C.S. Lewis said a line that, that I, I, it's one of those things that will always Stick with me. When the screw tape, who's talking to the to the demon, screw tape is the is the is the devil, and, and he's talking to the demon, and he's giving the demon advice how to take down this person, how to tempt this person. He said, "A faith worth destroying wasn't worth destroying anyway." 
He said, don't, don't gloat when someone who doesn't believe is revealed to not believe. He goes, a faith that can be destroyed wasn't worth destroying. We haven't made any gains to our kingdom, basically. So remember that, a faith that can be destroyed wasn't worth destroying, okay? And if your faith can be destroyed by a hard time, how shallow is our faith? The second thing is this, that it teaches us perseverance. Following in Jesus' footsteps, it actually says in the Bible that Jesus suffered and therefore left us an example to follow. Suffering and, 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 and crisis is part of the Christian life. Don't think, that's, don't think that you're, that, that's weird or, or abnormal. No, you will go through trials. You will be thrown into the fire. You will be, every person has. And like I said last week, Whenever I meet someone of great faith, I used to just stand up and applaud. I'm like, man, you're amazing. Now I almost cry because of the path I know they had to take to get that kind of faith. They have been through hell and back. They have been through the ringer. They have been sifted as wheat, like, like uh, uh, Jesus uh, told Peter that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. They have been through it. They have been knocked on their rear ends. They have been crushed and broken, and God has built them back up and restored their joy, and now their faith is something unshakable and amazing and powerful. But when I see that, I shudder to think of their story because that's what it takes to get there, okay? This is one verse why I don't believe in the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. When you suffer for righteousness, when you take a stand, when you stand up for what you believe, you are following Jesus' example, and sometimes it costs you. Okay? We need to be ready for that. Young people need to be ready for that. Okay? Three is that we learn. We learn presence. Jesus is never going to leave you. He will be most apparent in your hardest trial. He will be more visible, more present, the, the tougher your trial is. I have learned that firsthand. That's not something I learned in a seminary or in a sermon. I learned that firsthand, that the harder the trial, the more present Jesus is. Truly, it is true. Jesus never promises that you will not face trials. He promises to stand with you through the fire. And so many people ask, I don't like the trial. Wasn't God keep me from going through it? Why can't he just save me now? Why do I have to experience a trial at all? The answer is the fourth one. It's purification. Purification. God uses the fire to purify you. Some of you are going through some tough times, some trials right now. And it's a time of, of, of a lot of times, I hate to say this, some, sometimes the trials are a result of our own sin or our own mistakes and these kind of things. And God needs that out of our lives. Guys that are going through the fire of addiction, we, we got we to gotta remove that or we're just going to stay there. People that are, in, that, that are involved in pornography or adultery or, or sins that, that break the heart of God, he uses the fire to purify us. He allows us to see the consequences of that. And we don't want it anymore. And he used that to purify us. Also, some of you are going through tough times that aren't your fault and aren't a result of sin. And you're asking God, when are you going to turn the heat down? When, why aren't you delivering me? Why aren't you answering my prayers? And God is working in your lives and, and like your life and the lives of others in ways you have no idea. God is refining you in the situation. He is purifying you. And, and cleansing his church and bringing you to him as he wants you to be. 
So we have to embrace the trial. We have to stay patient. We have to stay faithful. We don't bow, we don't bend, and we don't burn. I don't know if these Hebrew teenagers living in a foreign land were prepared that day to do what they did. Something tells me that they were, though. Follow me here. Because they had probably been preparing for it. They weren't stupid. They knew it was coming. They weren't foolish. They, they read the signs of the culture. They saw where the culture was going. They knew they had a crazed egomaniac as a king who did not follow their beliefs. They weren't stupid. By the time Nebuchadnezzar made the proclamation, they had already decided what they were going to do. They didn't wait until the proclamation was made to decide. They pre-decided. They said, listen, we're staying true, we're staying faithful. The time to make that decision is now, before the trial happens. Okay? They didn't wait for the moment the music played to decide. That's what they did and that's what you must do. I cannot stress enough the importance of pre-decision. One of the, one of the um, most, I don't know, one of the, one of the, the, the a, a trial for the church and for us pastors, um, only time that I've really ever been concerned legally about what the church would face was in 2016, 2015, when the Obergfell case was before the Supreme Court and homosexual marriage was made legal. There was a lot of talk among pastors and denominations that they would use that to force churches to perform weddings that, did, that went against our beliefs. Um, There's a lot of communication, and there were activists that were specifically going to churches that, that did not perform homosexual marriages and asking, them, asking the pastor to do this, and when they said no, would sue, and, and, and there, there, was a, there was a real kind of wave starting there. And so the elders and I got together and said, what are we going to do? And I said this, I made a pre-decision. I said, I'm not going to do it. Marriage is between a man and a woman, as the Bible says. There's no example of homosexual marriage in the Bible. We're not going to kind of create one. We're just going to stay to what the Bible says and what 2,000 years of church history has said. We're going to follow that. And I said this, I said, what will happen is I will say no, and I will maybe get fined, and I'm not gonna pay the fine, and I'll go to jail. I said, that's my predecision. That is what I am going to do. And I made that decision before the activists came to the church. I decided, when, I, I repaired the roof when the sun was shining, not when it was raining, if you know what I mean. That is the power of predecision. So you already know what you're going to do when the trial comes. Fortunately, that never happened. I did get a, a threatening phone call one Sunday morning um, asking what we did and, 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 and everything, but that was the extent of it. Um, but some of us need to take a stand on what we believe to be right, maybe sooner than we think. Um, you all, if you all have been here before, you guys know that I'm a student of history and American history follows roughly a 75 to 80 year cycle. Every 75 to 80 years, America has an identity crisis and has to make decisions as to who she is. Follow me through history. In 1776, 
we had to decide whether we were going to be uh, British colonies or an independent country. And the American Revolution was fought. That ended in 1783. 78 years later, in 1861, we had to decide if we were going to be a sovereign, loose collection of sovereign states or we were going to be a strong federal nation. So the Civil War was fought with slavery as the catalyst. That, was, that ended in 1865. 76 years later, in 1941, we had to decide if we were going to be a world power, the world superpower, or if we were going to be sick to the, founding, uh, the vision of the founding fathers of isolationism, and we fought World War II. That ended in 1945. Now, 77 years later, is 2022. History says there's a huge turning point where we will have to decide who we are. That's just what history says. I'm just looking at cycles. I have no word from the Lord. Don't start thinking that. All I'm doing is looking at history. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego read their culture, and we are called to read our culture as well. We're not stupid. We can see what's going on. We're also not afraid. We're not worried because the Bible says not to worry. Don't be anxious about anything the Bible tells us, but, in, but, but to submit our request to God, have peace in this world. Proverbs says a righteous person has no fear of bad news. Okay, so don't start thinking fear-mongering. No, all we're doing is reading the culture and reading history. I think the decision is going to be this. Are we going to be a constitutional capitalist republic like we've been, or are we going to be a secular, socialist, European-style state? Um... I thought that up until maybe this year where I'm wondering if the 75-year cycle, 80-year cycle is a division, whether by war or by peace, between red states and blue states. Because the battle lines are drawn and people are moving out of blue states into red states and, and, and people are moving out of red states into blue states to kind of congregate with their own. There's a polarization going on that I've never seen in my life. The only other time Historians have seen this as right before the Civil War, okay? That's the only time we've ever seen polarization like this. And so if, I, and I, I'm reading our history, history says that something big is happening soon. I don't know what it is, like I said. But it, it uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what was worth dying for. Do you? If we are being called, if, if we are called to take a stand for things that are unpopular, because they belong to the word of God, because God is calling us. Are you faithful enough to stand for that? I'm not, I'm not foolish enough or blind enough to think that, that uh, we can continue in this country the way we have been. I don't know if you are. Now, obviously, there's no way we can continue to polarize like this and stay together. Something's going to happen. History says something's going to happen. And so I don't, like I said, I don't know what it is, but we must stay faithful we must stay faithful. Can we trust God for standing for what we believe is right? Can we? Can we trust God that, that, that staying true to him and his ways and his word is worth the fire? That's the question we have to, we have to decide because God may not give us the miracle that we want when we want it. A faith that costs us nothing is worth nothing, you all. So my question, church, do you know what's worth dying for? They did. Do you know what's worth dying for? Have you found it yet?
then and only then will you know what's worth living for. So don't falter at the point of testing. It may be soon. Have faith. Be encouraged. Listen, church, God always wins. God bless you. We'll see you at the picnic right there at Rock Fence Park starting about 12.15. God bless. Love you all. Bye-bye.